Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 830 on Monday, October 7th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the University of Mississippi's incoming chancellor is on the defensive. That's following an abrupt hiring process that has left many outraged. And after bite-sized tech, Millsaps College releases its last pre-election state-of-the-state poll. We'll talk about what likely voters had to say. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. University of Mississippi can expect more protests this week over the appointment of incoming Chancellor Glenn Boyce. Some faculty and students protested last week, saying the college board didn't follow its procedures for selecting Boyce. In fact, protests shut down the on-campus announcement of Boyce's appointment. He didn't apply for the position and was consultant during the search process. History professor Garrett Felber was one of the protesters removed from the news conference. They don't want anyone's democratic voice in this process at all. They don't want it early in the decision-making process. The the listening sessions that many of us went to were completely fraudulent, um, which we suspected at the time. But we, you know, still do our part and come out and say the things that we want our campus to to look like and what we want in a chancellor. And then they just tried to, to cram it down our throats. Jared Foster is a senior at the university. He's part of a campus organization called Students Against Social Injustice. Foster tells MPB's Desiree Frazier the State College Board should do more to acknowledge student and faculty concerns. Specifically with the organization that I'm in, something we always advocate for in everything that we do is student and faculty power on this campus. And recently there were listening sessions that were open to the public including students and faculty, and we attended those listening sessions. And those sessions um, were talking about things that we were looking for in a chancellor. And Glenn Voice himself promised that there would be a very um, transparent process that they were going to go through in hiring a new chancellor. And, and he said that because he was a consultant for the search? That's right. He was a he was um, a commissioner for IHL from 2015 until 2018. Yeah, Boyce assisted in the search process that ultimately led to him being hired as chancellor. And the UM Foundation, which is this private fundraising and support organization through the university, contracted with Boyce to meet with um, like very influential people on campus about they wanted about what they wanted in a chancellor. And so ultimately he hired himself and the interests 
of the students and the faculty were completely ignored. And that's why we decided to protest today. Are you saying that he's not qualified or what concerns you? It's not specifically his qualifications, although there is something to be said about that as well. It's more has to do with the process that happened in him being hired. It's, it, it took away all autonomy of the institution. And IHL is this very inherently undemocratic organization. I'm sure you're familiar that it's this organization of majority white elitist men who are elected by the governor of Mississippi. And they oversee all university decisions despite not having any relationship with the university other than an economic relationship. And so they don't understand anything that happens on this universe, on this campus, much less the problems that we might face and anything that we want a chancellor to represent. That was our main issue with it. They, they promised us a respectable process, and I believe they called it the selection committee, the chancellor selection committee, and they promised that it would be transparent and fair and just. And they had applicants who applied for the position, and Glenn Boyce, the person they you could say he hired himself. The person IHL um, hired, Glenn Boyce, was not even an applicant. He didn't apply for the position. It it just goes to show that students and workers really have no control over their own uh, university. What do you want to happen? You had the protest. How did that go? The protest definitely drew a lot of attention to the issue, and I think it went great. Um, the conference did get shut down, and really... What we want in the long run, the point of the protest was to essentially rescind Glenn Boyce's appointment. And furthermore, we want more institutional autonomy separate from local, I mean, state government. Ole Miss senior Jared Foster. After protesters shut down the official public announcement of Glenn Boyce as chancellor of the university, he spoke to members of the media at a hastily called teleconference. Boyce started by talking about stepping into his new role. I just can't tell you how excited I am today to be here and to represent the University of Mississippi as their chancellor. I appreciate certainly the board of trustees and all the individuals involved in the search, including the CSAC committee and everyone else. Um, I'm looking forward uh, to this position, obviously, and I'm excited about the fact that I can basically come home because as an alumnus, this place has uh, meant so much to my wife and I and to our family. It is an amazing institution with great things going on, and I'm looking forward to seeing if we can take it to new heights and push it to new levels, and I know we will. And I will tell you that I've got a a vision uh, for the institution, and I won't go into that. I'd like to hear your questions. But I have a vision for the institution that we can imagine what could not even be imagined. And uh, we're going to complete that vision. We're going to work very hard. And I would tell you also that first and foremost, I've always been a student-centered individual. And I don't say that lightly. Lots of people use that term, but I don't say that lightly. Uh, So I will be incredibly engaged with our students, highly visible with our students. And I am looking forward to our students being the most creative, innovative students anywhere, any place that can compete globally. And it's my intention uh, that those students will also have the leadership qualities and skills brought to them through their endeavors here that will make them the future leaders of our state. And I'm excited about that prospect and excited about working with them. That's really why I entered the field of education. And here I am toward the end of my career, I guess. And now that I'm a, a chancellor and plan on working many more years, 
I'm glad that my passion for students is as stronger, stronger than ever. Regarding the students and faculty protesting his appointment, Boyce says there's a time and a place for protests, but he says he understands students exercising free speech. Students exercise their freedom of expression, uh, and uh, I understand that and recognize that. And um, we are allowed to do that through our Constitution and because we live in a free country. And I think that's wonderful that we have that opportunity and that right to do that. I would say, however, that it's also important at some point when we have civil discourse and conversation and the venue requires respect, that we eventually come around to that respect as well. And so that the uh, venue itself okay, can conduct its business. So having said that, um, that's my comments uh, about that. And uh, I, I, I won't uh, address the process. I'll leave that up to Dr. Dye. During the teleconference, Taylor Vance of the Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal went back and forth with Boyce. He started by asking how much Boyce was paid for his consulting work and whether he would give the money back. I think it was around perhaps uh, 87000 maybe was the exact, maybe something like that. I don't know the exact figure. I think it was, uh, but it was something like that. And uh, I don't know about returning any money to IHL. Uh, I was paid for consulting services and performed the work and feel like I performed the work effectively and feel like I did the job that I was asked to do, certainly. And by the way, I, uh, I performed that work uh, for the university and for a university that I love and care for deeply. It was kind of a pilot process so that we could take in that people would realize that we were very interested in making sure that we got the right fit for this next chancellor. So essentially, do you, you think that unmuted. it was appropriate to be paid to hire, hire yourself then as the next chancellor? I didn't hire myself. The Board of Trustees hired me. I didn't hire myself. And I didn't, uh, there was nothing untoward as far as the work I did for them. And once I completed my work, which was completed before the search ever started, once I completed my work, I was finished. I didn't do uh, any more work during the period of time that the search was conducted. Boyce says he understands not everyone is pleased with his appointment, but he says he will work to bring the campus together. Candidly, I think that you saw you saw um, young people today and a few other folks uh, express their freedom of expression, like I said, but I will tell you that there's awful lot of people out there right now who have texted me, honestly, by the hundreds, who are showing me tremendous support. So I just think that at this point in time, you haven't heard from those people yet. And uh, so it's not like, in my, in my view of things, I feel like I've got tremendous support out there. And while we've got some work to do and we've got some challenges, uh, we certainly will tackle those. And I will tell you that one of the things that I do is I value being a strong communicator and I value being a strong listener. And I can tell you that uh, I will be visiting with our students and I will be visiting with our student leaders. They will be absolutely some of the first individuals that I search out in order to spend time with and to talk through this entire process. The college board says Boyce will begin as chancellor on or before October 13th. Coming up, Millsaps College releases its last pre-election state-of-the-state poll. We'll talk about what likely voters had to say. That's coming up after Bite Size Tech. 
This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. WhatsApp is testing a new self-destructing message feature. Instagram is making its bully-blocking feature available to all, and Google and Amazon are now actually beginning to hang out together. I'm Jay White, and here is this week's Bite Size Tech. Last week, Amazon announced that YouTube TV, part of the Google empire, is now available on its Fire TV devices. This continues the positive path set forth by the two longtime rival tech giants back in April when each company announced that the wall blocking the integration of the two popular lines of products will eventually be removed. In July, YouTube began to reappear on Amazon devices, and also that month, Amazon Prime video streaming service was made available on the Google-driven Chromecast and Android TV platforms. While it's nice to think that this is a big bag of goodwill being exchanged between Amazon and Google. The reality is that the compatibility of the two companies' products was becoming more of a market-driven necessity. Third-party streaming device Roku has rocketed past all competition to become the country's most popular streaming hardware. Meanwhile, surprisingly, Google and Amazon linger in fifth and sixth place in the category behind services like the Sony PlayStation View and Microsoft's Xbox One, both of which are bolstered by stock inclusion in the world's two highest selling video game consoles. Instagram, a Facebook product, is now giving all of its users access to its newest anti-bullying feature. You may now selectively choose to restrict users displaying bullying behavior. The feature was introduced earlier this summer, and it's meant to give the user an option in between having to put up with the behavior and having to outright block the bullying account. Part of this approach is because Instagram has learned that outright blocking a bullying user can often lead the bully to double down on the actual bullying. Instagram says the approach is to limit the visibility of bullying behavior without inviting further confrontation. Instagram admits while this is a step in a positive direction, it's still not a perfect solution. A 2017 report found that bullying was far more prevalent on Instagram than on Facebook or Snapchat, Twitter not pictured. Instagram is rolling out the new features now in observance of National Bullying Prevention Month. Finally, WhatsApp users may soon get the ability to have their messages self-destruct. A new disappearing messages feature could be handy for anyone sharing sensitive information that doesn't want that information permanently available. The feature is only being beta tested as of now and as of yet has only a basic set of options. And by that, I mean that currently you can set messages to expire after five seconds or after an hour. While there's no timetable for how soon the feature might be readily available to all WhatsApp users, I should mention that Gmail actually has a similar feature that was part of its 2018 overhaul called Confidential Mode. In personal Gmail accounts, you can enact a setting that allows you to send messages that can expire and also cannot be copied, forwarded, or downloaded. Be warned, though, the feature is not a set-it-and-forget-it setting. Confidential Mode needs to be activated before each individual use, probably thanks to people like me that would never remember to turn it off. For more tech news, fixes, insight, and more, listen to MPB's Everyday Tech. The show is on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and the MPB Public Media app, free in the iTunes and Google Play stores. And the show airs live Wednesday morning at 10, right here on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 
about 50 percent of Mississippi voters are extremely or somewhat enthusiastic about voting in next month's general election. That's according to the latest Millsaps Chisholm State of the State survey. The quarterly survey examines issues of relevance in state politics. It finds voters are divided when it comes to their perceptions of the state's direction. We're joined by Millsaps College professor Nathan Schrader. The focus uh, or the scope of this particular uh, State of the State survey is to look at some of the issues that uh, that are likely to have play a, in, a play a part in the Mississippi November elections, but also that may resurface then in the legislative session in January, because it's important for folks to remember that the first year of the four year legislative term involves a hundred and twenty day session. So it's an intentionally longer session. It will it will give you know it would have more time for two things: newly elected legislators who have never been there before get to kind of get their feet wet in and, the, in and the and process. And just to note that all legislative seats are open in this general election. That's right. Every seat in the House and Senate is up right now, which is again a little different than how, the way some states do this, where they stagger some of the Senate terms like you would in the U.S. Senate. Mississippi is every seat at once. And also, most states have two-year House terms. We have a four-year House term. So this first year of the legislative session coming in 2020 will be longer. There will be a new governor. There will be a new secretary of state. There will be a new lieutenant governor. There will be a new attorney general. I mean, That's uh, right. And, and that was what helped drive kind of the, 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 the rationale behind which questions we ask. And this is something, the most one of the most frequently asked questions I hear from people about our survey which is a quarterly project, is uh, why do you ask what you ask at a given time? <laughs> and, that's, and, and, and we don't necessarily have a something picked out. Mississippi is one of the gun-friendliest states in the nation. Your question was about background checks, we asked, or one of your questions. One of the rather. three questions on related to the firearms was on background checks. This was a, I, I always like to say, is, is in our several quarters of polling now on Mississippi politics, we, we always it's, you tend to find some issues where there's just an extreme amount of division. And and we found a few over the years where, where people tend to be united. And I can give you a few of those examples. We're building the improving roads and bridges, raising teacher pay. Those are things that seem to cut across party lines. People tend to want very similar things regardless of who they are and where they live in the state. But this is one of our highest areas of agreement. We've our largest share of those who are in agreement that we've seen in any of our nine polls. Ninety uh, percent of Mississippi voters, regardless of their gender, their race, their education level, their party affiliation, what congressional district they live in, for example, ninety percent favor. Back, requiring background checks for all firearms purchases in the state. So that ran 90% for that, only five against. And another 5% kind of unsure. I want to move ahead because okay. I know the focus was on the upcoming election and we're not talking individuals here, but people's interests, I guess, yeah, yeah. in voting or the yes. candidates in general. So one of the things we, we never set out to do with the, the Millsaps Chisholm survey was to do the kind of the typical campaign horse race polling. There's enough of that out there. And, and, and what we've always set out to do since our first poll nine quarters ago was to make this policy driven. And so, but what we do think is helpful is rather than talk to people about specific candidates, we ask them about, and this is now the, we did this prior to the 2018 election. We did this again now, probably, this will be our last poll before the 20, 
2019 election, just to describe their enthusiasm level about the, the election. And so let me let me give you the one number that's hard to believe first, and then I'll explain how we kind of address that. Okay. We, we, we overall only... Um, Four percent of voters responded that they may not vote this year because they're very disappointed in the four percent. Four percent. So, but we all know we're not going to have an election with ninety-six percent participation. So, here's another way to get to the bottom of this: we, we had a, a combined fifty-four percent tell us that they're either extremely enthusiastic or somewhat enthusiastic about the election. I would estimate that that is a far more that fifty-four percent combined there. That is perhaps how we can say that that's maybe where we should be looking at voter turnout. Um, at 54 percent, around fi- in that half right. the and, and so that would actually be higher than the last gubernatorial election, which hmm. I think was only about 40. But that would also reflect that that election well, we had an was incumbent. Right. It, there was an incumbent and it was not a competitive race. This year, you've got a very competitive race. Mm-hmm. But but there were still the one area that that in our crosstabs uh, that, that stood out to me, we found that the, high, the highest levels of voter enthusiasm were coming from people who are identified as strong Democrats or Democratic leaners, independents and strong Republicans, meaning they're the ones who right now seem to be the most energized about voting in this election. But the area that of voters that the sub the subset rather of voters that reported weaker levels of enthusiasm were the Republican leaners, meaning they're people who tend to vote Republican, but they don't consider themselves to be Republican across the board. They're not hardcore. They're not as hard Republican. Right. So so that. That is, again, just one way to maybe look at this. Those could be some of your voters who voted in the Republican. They're, they're, they, they vote in Republican primaries. They consider themselves Republicans, but they're not going to vote guaranteed for every Republican up and down the ballot. But these could have been some of your Bill Waller voters or Robert Foster voters. Maybe their candidate hasn't didn't make it through the primary. Right. So they're still they're just not as excited. Is the same true of Democrats or not so much because the primaries weren't um, right. We didn't see that in this poll that 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 right now Democrats in general appear to be enthused and excited about this election. So to independents And, and strong Republicans, too, they're they're ready to go vote. But but for some reason, that subset of Republican leaners are not quite there yet. And maybe they maybe they will be by Election Day or maybe they won't. We'll have to. That's what we'll have to wait and see. But the takeaway is about 50 percent of voters, judging from your survey, uh, if we look at just those who they are extremely enthusiastic about voting this year or they're they're somewhat enthusiastic, a little over half say they're they're excited and they're looking forward to this election. But that would still, if that was where our turnout came down, I, I would love to see it higher than that. But it would be an improvement from four years ago. Dr. Nathan Schrader is the chair of the Department of Government and Politics at Millsaps College. Dr. Schrader, thanks for all the details. No, thank you. And, and the Millsaps Chisholm State of the State poll uh, is posted at millsaps.edu, including not just the summary, but if people are really into the data, they can dig through all the tables on partisanship, race, gender, uh, education level, where people respond by congressional district. It's all there for them if they want to get into it. All right. Great. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Karen. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.